All right, but coffee is fantastic. It changes our lives, doesn't it? <laughs> Just check out this clip. You'll know what I mean. If I hear any of that this morning, yeah, we're cutting you off. <laughs> uh, caffeine. Sometimes we just need a little bit of a wake-up, don't we? That's what we've been talking about this series. Uh, for those of you who are new, we're about three, four, some number of weeks into a series uh, called Awake, where we are trying to wake ourselves up for this new year and reconnect and re-engage with God in our lives. So we really think that God's got some cool stuff planned for us this year. We don't know what it is. We don't know uh, where God's going to be leading us specifically. But as we kind of get to the end of our first year of existence as a, as a church, Church Northwest turns one in April, end of April. I know, right? Yeah. Happy birthday to us. Um, we're getting ready to kind of launch into year two, and we've got a, a really cool feeling that God has got some excellent stuff for us in year two, where we can kind of look out into the community a little bit more and, and see how we can make an impact in the world around us. But before we do that, before we kind of launch into all of that, we want to take a little bit of time to prepare ourselves, to prepare our hearts, prepare our minds, so that when God says, hey, this is what I want you to do, we actually hear him and we hear what's going on. That's the purpose of this Awake series, to kind of uh, get us alert and, and sort of clued in to what God is doing so that when he speaks, we're ready to listen. So we've been working our way through a passage in Ephesians. So if you've got either your Bible app or your Bible or, you know, if you've got a really old school, like, actual book Bible, I don't think anyone does, right? No. That's, that's, that's how times have changed, right? We've all got phones. They just sit on it. We have one person who's got a real Bible. Big round of applause. Yay. <laughs> Old school. All right. Anyway, sorry. We're going to read Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to go through the passage from the beginning that we've been looking at through the series so that we can see how we've progressed. Then we'll get to the next section. Yes? Okay. Good. Starting in verse 8. I need to slow. I feel like I've had a lot of coffee. <laughs> I'm just going to slow down a little bit here. Here we go. All right. Paul, the author of the book, he says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. And that's what we talked about in the first week. Um, well, second week, actually. The, this concept of dawn as the new morning approaches and we leave darkness and go into the light and we leave this life where God is not part of the equation, and we go into his love and into his leadership in our lives. He says, For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. 
and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention that what the disobedient do in secret, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, and this kind of is our sort of key little point here, it says, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So we talked about this rising to new day, new dawn. And then we went into the next passage. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And so um, that was last week where we looked at the alarm, sort of jolting ourselves out of this drifting through life thing, this spiritual drowsiness that we often have. And it says, be very careful, pay close attention. There's this idea of waking ourselves, jolting ourselves up um, to getting on the right track. And then he jumps in the next section for today. In verse 18, he says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Some of your Bibles will have that last verse tacked onto the next section, which is interesting. I think it's a little bit of a transition, actually. But given the context, I actually think that fits in with what he's saying here. And then later on, he'll expand on what submitting to each other looks like. But we're going to pause there. So this, this morning is talking about moving. If we talked about moving from darkness to light, and then we talked about moving from drifting into intentional living. Today is moving from debauchery into the spirit. <laughs> debauchery, what a word. Tell, there's, there's a little, little poll here. Has anyone ever used or heard someone use the word debauchery outside of a church context? Really? At school? What school was that? Was it a Christian school? No? Oh, goodness. Was it like how to or don't do or okay so debauchery is really kind of one of those christiany words right we like to use it the preacher will use it a lot no one else will ever use it. And we kind of run around thinking what is he talking about like what is debauchery it sounds great though you know thou shalt repent of thy debauchery i should preach like that more often <laughs> i won't i won't okay all right so debauchery really is a word that just means excess. Really what it means is excessive living. It has a, a definite sort of sensual connotation to it, but it's this idea of living beyond the boundaries of what God is wanting us to live. And so Paul is interestingly tying drunkenness to debauchery, which... Honestly, it doesn't take a genius to kind of know that when you have too many, you kind of make some poor decisions, right? Things kind of spiral down fairly quickly from that point. But what's interesting to me is that Paul gives us a very specific example. Like if we look through the whole passage, 
he's talking about moving from darkness to light, right? We track with that. That's a sort of a general concept. We're all good with that. He talks about moving from, we're not quite there yet, Fiona. We're, we're, we're good. I'll let you know. Um, we talk about moving from unintentional living to intentional living, which is, again, general. And then he kind of zeroes in and he says, now don't get drunk on wine. And it's very specific. And it makes you wonder, why? Why did he mention that one? Because it's not the only form of debauchery. It's not the only form of excess, right? But why does he mention that? I came across this little bit of nugget of um, history um, connected to this. See, Paul was writing to a group of churches in what was called Asia Minor, so it's kind of around the edge of the Mediterranean, Greece and Turkey and places like that. And this was very heavily um, influenced by ancient Greek culture. You guys familiar with Greek culture? Well, they, so they worship lots of gods, lots and lots of gods. And Ephesus, where this um, letter was written to, the main goddess that was worshipped was Artemis. And so you'll see other um, parts where Paul, when he first arrives in Ephesus, gets caught up in a riot, stirs up trouble, and they're all chanting, Artemis of the Ephesians, great is Artemis of the Ephesians, and rah, rah, rah. So Artemis is the main goddess, but there was this other group of people in various different cities who worshipped another Greek god called Dionysus. Does anyone, has anyone heard of Dionysus? Any other, like classical Greek nerds over here? Jane. Who was Dionysus? Can you tell? Wrong question. I've, I've heard of. You've heard of. Okay, does anyone know who Dionysus is the god of hope? Home? No, no. Um, that was someone else. Actually, it might have been Artemis. Wouldn't that be interesting? No, Dionysus, much more fun than that. He was the god of wine. Yeah, right? He was the god of wine and of wild frenzy, and he was the uh, god of pleasure and madness and festivity, right? You can imagine what kind of worship services they had, all right? They were not sitting around reading out of a hymnal, I'll tell you that. So they had some pretty wild parties in their worship of Dionysus. And, of course, getting drunk was just part of that, and then all of this other stuff that we would call excess or debauchery, that was all right in there. You had anything and everything that you might expect happening on an American college campus, right? I mean, it was basically a sorority happening right there in the city. So... All sorts of lewd stuff happening. Now, underneath of all of this sort of partying, booze fest type stuff that was happening, there was the belief that if they worshipped Dionysus by experiencing this wild, frenzied partying, they would unite with Dionysus. Dionysus? Dionysus. And they would become one with him and they would be able to experience his power, his wisdom, his strength. Right? So that was what they were trying to do. They were trying to become one with Dionysus. If that sounds familiar, that concept of becoming one with God, becoming connected with Him, sharing His power, sharing His wisdom, that does sound familiar, right? That's what Christians believe that we do. So there is an interesting contrast that is starting to be built around what Paul says don't get drunk on wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Do you see how he's kind of building that contrast there? Instead of getting involved in this excess that is connected to worshipping Dionysus, instead, get yourself be filled with the Spirit that connects to worshipping God. 
So he's creating this contrast. It's not just, by the way, drinking wine is bad, getting drunk is bad, which he's right, getting drunk is bad, but it's more specifically talking about this excess that was going on, this worship of this god Dionysus. Right? Make sense, dragon? Okay, so who cares? <laughs> like, what does that mean for us? Dionysus, not a major problem in Auckland. You know, we're not really trying to worship him. Anyone? No? No, no Dionysus worshippers here? So, not really a big issue for us. But as we dive a little deeper into what was going on, we can see that there is actually a very strong contrast to what happens in our life today. And so what I want to do that is I want to kind of explore this contrast that Paul creates between wine on one side, not that wine itself is bad, but the excess connected to that, and spirit. Now you can put it up, Fiona. We're, good. We're ready for it now. Eh? So we've got a goblet and fire sort of representing wine and the spirit. And as he looks at it, he can, we can kind of see some of the distinctness that Paul is trying to move us from one to the other. So, for example, don't get drunk on wine. This excessive life, what does that do? It dulls our senses. Okay? So, the first big contrast here between that cult and the Holy Spirit is being united with that Greek gold, dull their senses. Um, so, it puts them in this fog, you know? And this is what wine does, it's what a lot of excess does. You know, too much wine, too much drugs, too much physical relationships that we're just pursuing all of these things too much money too much power too much popularity all of these things that we dive into they don't sharpen us they dull us and people who have been involved in that i know some of us have experiences in the past of those things you could probably attest that you're not your best self when you're in those spaces it dulls the senses whereas the spirit heightens our alertness and that folds right back to what we were talking about last week, where he says, don't just drift through life, but be very careful. Look carefully at the way that you are living your life. Live it with wisdom. Live it with alertness. Sharpen yourself. And the Spirit helps you do that. So while the excess kind of dulls us down, the Spirit sharpens our senses, helps us live our most clear and best life right? Second thing he kind of brings around is, there's a really interesting sort of contrast we see expressed in the passage itself, is that the, the, the wine life, this, this excessive life, is fundamentally self-centered, isn't it? We pursue these things to make ourselves happy or to cover up our sadness, depending on whether you've got a glass half full, glass half empty type attitude, that excess life, this chasing after money, this chasing after partying, or chasing after these relationships, all of these things, they're kind of about being happy. Because our, our culture has said, you deserve to be happy. You deserve to be happy. And while I don't necessarily disagree that we deserve to be, I don't know what we deserve, but God wants us to be happy, but not through that. Instead, what he shows us is that when we are filled with the Spirit, the Spirit life is others-centered. If you look back to the passage, um, he says, um, 
be filled with the Spirit, and then he goes on to explain what that was. And look what he says. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, encouraging one another, um, singing and making music from our heart to the Lord, so worshiping God, giving thanks to God for everything, and then submitting to each other. These are the things that we do when we are filled with the Spirit. We are others-centered, which... Again, if you've experienced that, actually builds us up as well, and we kind of like that, but it's, it's others-centered. By the way, his um, description here, the speaking to another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing and making music, giving thanks, this is basically describing a church service. This is what we do. This is what we're about. We're about encouraging each other. Nate mentioned our mission statement is to help each other. This is what Spirit-filled life is all about. That makes sense? Good. All right. Ultimately, though, what I think we find is that this excess life that he's talking about here is an empty life, whereas the spirit life is a full life. Now, that may not be the perspective people have, right? Like I said, most people, when they're going out and they're trying to chase after their dreams, they're trying to make as much money as they can, make as many friends as they can, They're trying to um, sleep with as many people as they can, go out binge drinking, partying, all of that sort of stuff. They're not doing that to have an empty life. They're either doing that because they already have an empty life or they're doing that because they want to live life to the full. This idea, I want to grab life by the horns, you know? We've got one life. Let's live the heck out of it. Let's do this thing. Let's get every experience that I can. This is what we're kind of told to do, right? This is... You know, make the most of life. You've only got 80 years, so get into it, right? And so that's what they want to do. They want to live the full life. Makes a lot of sense. Except if it doesn't work, right? Except if it doesn't work. Because the foundational belief that we have as Christians is that the only full life we can have is given to us by him. Everything else is empty. He's the only one who can help us live the best life both before we die and after we die. Some people have experienced that truth rather early on in their life. Everything else has been shown to be a lie. Some people discover that lie early. They go out partying, they do their thing, you know, their 20s or whatever, and then they're like... This isn't what I thought it was going to be. And they have this realization of that lie. Other people, maybe people who are chasing money, maybe people who are chasing power, they don't realize that lie until they go face to face with God. Then they find out. But either way, Paul is making this desperate plea to us. He says, this is, this is an empty life. This is not the full life that Jesus wants for you. He wants you to have a proper life and a proper life is a spirit-filled life. It's being filled with the spirit. All right. So what does that mean? To be filled with the spirit. What does it mean to be filled with the spirit? Because you know what? Like debauchery, this is another phrase that can get a lot of confusion going. Not even outside the church, inside the church too. You know, we we have this concept of being filled with the Spirit. Our mind goes in a whole few different places, right? 
And so a lot of us will associate this being filled with the Spirit as this momentous, emotional moment where I'm filled with the Spirit and then this outpouring of miracles and, and speaking in tongues and stuff like that happens. That's what we associate with filled with the Spirit. I don't want to rubbish that. Okay? I don't want to say that's not true. But what I do want to do is to reintroduce ourselves to an, another concept of what being filled with the Spirit means or another side of it. There is more to the Spirit than miracles and emotion and tongues and all of this sort of stuff. And sometimes, and I'm going to say this without being accusatory, but sometimes we, especially in our culture and in our churches, we lose sight a little bit of that and we get caught up in this stuff, the miracles and all of that sort of stuff. And I think we forget that God is doing something else as well. Something maybe quieter, something maybe less dramatic, something no less powerful. When we look at in the Bible of people who were filled with the Spirit, and there's this phrase coming in, filled with the Spirit, that we often think about, it's kind of like this, this extra shot of Spirit, you know, like a little nos shot, you know, and it's just going to... And it gives us this extra power to do a specific task. And sometimes it was a miracle. Sometimes people were filled with the Spirit and they went and they healed someone or something like that. But other times they were filled with the Spirit and just talked and just said something profound from God, but not necessarily dramatic or fireworksy. Do you want an example? And I'm reticent to kind of go here, but do you want an example of this side of being filled with the Spirit? You're seeing it now. You're seeing it right now. This is going to sound a little bit horn tooty, and I'm not a horn tooter. But in my role, as I've been preaching, especially lately, and especially here at Church Northwest, I have been filled with the Spirit as I come up to preach. What do I mean by that? Hasn't been dramatic. I haven't been, you know, doing anything fireworksy, right? Nothing like that. But what God does is he just takes over a little bit. You know, because if you saw what my message looked like last night, <laughs> you know that he's doing something right now. If anything has ever landed with you, if anything has ever gone, wow, right, yeah, that's not me. Trust me, I know me, I'm not that good. God is doing stuff. And so when he takes over in this moment to preach, that's being filled with the Spirit. That's it. You know, I'm not, I'm not out of control of myself. I'm not rolling on the floor. I'm not doing any of that sort of stuff. I am just being used by God. So that's a side of what being filled with the Spirit can mean. Now, having said all of that, I don't think that is what this means. <laughs> so when Paul is talking about being filled with the Spirit, I just wanted to take that tangent because I think that's a confusing area for a lot of people. And, and I wanted to kind of give us a bit of spectrum of what that means. But I don't think that when Paul says being filled with the Spirit here, I don't think he means that extra shot. Sometimes he does mean that in the Bible, so that is a real thing. But I don't think he's meaning we need to be filled with that extra shot of the Spirit in order to complete a task. Because the way he is contrasting it with this excess of life is more of a lifelong, ongoing 
moment. We need to be continuously filled with the Spirit. In fact, I think the word filled is relating to this word wine, right? Instead of being filled with wine and consumed and controlled by that, let's be filled with the Spirit and let God get control in that way. So what does that mean? It just simply means living with an awareness of the presence of God in our lives. So how do we do that? Simply put, you don't have to do a thing. I mean, if you have decided that Jesus is going to be your king, if you have given your life, and I don't want to assume that about people, and I don't want to pressure anybody if they haven't, that, well, you're, you, know, you, sh- you can't be here if you haven't. You're welcome here no matter where you are in your journey. But if you have decided, and if you have said, I'm a Christian, you're good. You have the Spirit. The Bible promises us that when we repent of our sins, this is what Paul says, we become Christians, we get baptized, we get the Spirit. That's how it works. If you want to ask any questions about any part of that process, by the way, please come and talk to us. But for now, I just want you to rest and relax and know that you already have the Spirit. You just need to be aware of it. So there is a verse that I want us to focus on as we kind of go out from here. There's a verse that I really want us to kind of embrace as we think about being filled with the Spirit. You ready? It's from Psalm 46.10, and it simply says this, Be still and know that I am God. Can we repeat this? Sure! You want to repeat it together? All right. No, no, you're fine. No, I love input. It's fantastic. So I'll say it, then you say it. Be still. And know that I am God. So write it down. Go home. Memorize that. The second part's actually really cool too because he says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And he's saying, it doesn't matter what you do. I will have these things done. I don't need you to take care of that for me. I will do that. Just be still and know that I am God. Be still. I will send you out. But first, be still. And I think when we slow down a little bit, we start to see God working a little bit more. There's this thing that we have, and and Nate's going to love that I'm talking about this. He's been trying to get me to do this for years. That when we slow down, we start, we, we think we have to run to catch up to what God is doing. But what we often do is we find out that when we slow down, we're actually slowing down to the pace that God is already working. And we're like, oh, I didn't have to catch up to you. I had to slow down to meet you. I had to slow down to see your pace, what he is doing. Because God does not always. He does some pretty cool stuff sometimes. And he can do it any, to any way he wants. But the way he functions is he just moves slowly but surely. Uh, did any of you do the um, sunrise thing? We had a sunrise challenge. A few not. Yeah, all right. Teacher's pet. So um, one of the things that I, I, I finally did it on Saturday morning before my deadline was due. So I sat out there, and one of the most profound thoughts that came to me was that, holy cow, this takes a long time. 
<laughs> right? It's a long time. You're just sitting there. It's so slow. And I'm like, I got ADD, so I'm like, I want this thing to happen quick, you know. And so, but it happening slowly. But then I thought, but who could stop it? Who could stop the sun from rising? There is absolutely nothing anyone could do to make that thing not happen. It happens slow, but it has a profound inevitability to it. And I think that is the way that God often works. He may not be quick like we want, but he is profoundly inevitable. He is. He will be. His dawn will come. His spirit is in us. We just need to slow down and see it. So, that's God too, right? Yeah, that's God doing that. So, our challenge this week is a be still and no challenge. Okay, and there's some freedom in this. But I thought there's a few things that we can do. I've got some coloring pages at the back. Yeah, yeah, coloring pages. Coloring pages are an awesome way to slow down. And they're all be still and no verses. So you can just, this is not just a girl thing, by the way. All right, guys, we could do this. If you want to do that, they're at the back. Grab one of those, take some time, and just it forces us to be slow. And then suddenly God starts catching up to us, and we see him and we feel him in our lives. There is also, I'm not, I, I don't buy into the Eastern religion aspect of yoga meditation, okay? And I think we've got to be careful about how we go about that. But there is, yoga as a concept is fantastic. There's some great Christian yoga out there if you're, if you're a little worried about that side of things. But I've got a link in the Bible app to a Christian yoga thing where you can just... It, the cool thing about it is it centers us. Of course, in their philosophy, they center it on ourselves. But we can change that very easily to center ourselves on the Spirit, on who God is. It slows us down, relaxes our mind, relaxes our heart, and we can hear Him. Um, Anything else that slows you down, going for a walk, going fishing. Fishing is fantastic because you can really do absolutely nothing for a really long time. You know, but there's a purpose, so you, you know, there's a reason to do it, right? So that's a great thing to do. Anything that gets you to slow down, that's what I want you to do this week. That's our challenge. Ah, lovely. Or Google Christian Yoga on YouTube. That's how I did it. I just Googled that. There is one person, I think her name is Carol, she does the holy yoga. <laughs> it's a little cheesy, but um, it does the job and it's really, she kind of takes you through meditation and prayer and stuff like that. That's kind of fun. So do that if you like. 